Well, good morning, Springbrook. Welcome to the house of the Lord for worship. We are so honored and delighted to be with you this morning. If this is your first time with us, or maybe your first time back in a long time, a special, special welcome to you. We are so glad to be with you. If we haven't had the chance to meet yet, my name is Bethany. I'm the worship director here, and it is my privilege to welcome you this morning. If you're joining us online from wherever the Lord has you today, a special welcome to you. I want to remind you that, as always, we have online hosts who are standing by, available for you all throughout the service to answer whatever questions you have and who would love to spend time in prayer with you. So use that request prayer button over on the right-hand side, and you'll go into a one-on-one private prayer chat with one of our hosts, and they would love to spend time just coming before the Lord with you with whatever praises or prayer requests might be on your heart this morning. We want you to feel connected to this community from wherever you are today. Well, I would love to invite you to stand in body or in spirit this morning for our call to worship, which comes from Psalm 16. It says, The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad. My whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And I just love that imagery that there is fullness of joy, that the Fullness of joy is found in the presence of the Lord. In the house of the Lord is where we find complete and utter and perfect joy. Let's sing together of that joy. Let's worship and raise our voices together this morning. Yeah. 
Praise the Lord. Our scripture reading for today comes from 1 John chapter 4. John writes, By this we know that we abide in him and he in us, because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. 
If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. We're going to continue in worship and we're going to sing a song that's familiar to us. We've sung a number of times called Build My Life. And I think a lot of times we can sing this song and we can focus on the build my life part. The me and Jesus, I will build my life. And we miss that one line that says, lead me in your love to those around me. Because our life in Jesus isn't actually about us at all. Right? We can't love God if we can't love those around us. God is calling us to love those around us. He's calling us to be perfected in love, to be perfect as he is perfect. When we were talking as a team this morning, we're singing this song about believing that Jesus really is a firm foundation and sometimes we believe it. Sometimes we really, really believe it. And sometimes we need our brothers and sisters to believe it for us because we can't quite get there today. Because we look at the world and we look at what's happening and it's hard, right? It's hard to see God in it. It's hard to see his kingdom come when there's a new war when there's brokenness, when there's death and loss everywhere. And yet, we can build our life on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ, that is his body broken and his blood poured out. We can believe when he hung on that cross and said, it is finished, that he meant it, (laughs) that the battle was actually won. That he was inviting us into something, into a new way, into a new kingdom. So as we sing this, if you feel strong today, sing this in faith. Sing this for those around you who maybe don't feel strong today. If you feel like you're struggling to believe today, you're welcome here. You don't have to pretend. You are welcome in this place. You are welcome before your father to come and say, I'm not so sure of you today. I'm not so sure if you're good, but I'm coming anyway. And I'm going to proclaim that you're a firm foundation, even if I'm having trouble believing that it's true. So let's sing this in faith. Sing it for yourself. Sing it for each other. Sing it for your brothers and your sisters in Ukraine, in Russia, around the world. You're not alone. Let's build our lives on the firm foundation that is Jesus Christ.
Father, we wish we could say that with confidence every day. We wish we could believe with confidence and certainty every moment of every day, but we are weak and we are human and we are broken. But you knew that when you saved us, when you chose us. And you chose us anyway. Father, we thank you that even though the offering we bring you this morning is incomplete and imperfect, that because of Christ, because of his body broken, his blood poured out, because of the cross and the empty grave, you see our offering this morning is good and beautiful and perfect and holy and acceptable in your sight. And all we can say is thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you that we can gather without fear this morning. Thank you that we can gather in your name freely lifting our voices as loudly as we can without fear. When we think of our brothers and sisters around the world for whom this is not a reality, may we never, ever take this for granted. May we grieve with those who grieve. May we not turn a blind eye. Father, we repent for the times that we choose to numb ourselves to the brokenness in the world rather than allowing our hearts to grieve with those who are broken and suffering. Father, will you stir in us the right amount of grief that we might be stirred towards action, that we might be stirred toward prayer for people that you love. that your kingdom might come in us, that your kingdom might come here, that your kingdom might come on earth as it is in heaven. I pray for each person in this room, those who are worshiping online, wherever this service is being heard or seen. Holy Spirit, you know no bounds. You are knitting us together, uniting us in you across time and space will you just encourage each one as we pray together in this moment remind us who's in control remind us how the story ends remind us that we have a beautiful calling and purpose in your kingdom that we are not helpless when the world is broken and overwhelming and dark that you're actually calling us to something good and beautiful and redemptive Holy Spirit we need you so desperately to intervene to make the wrong things right and we need you in this moment to open our eyes so that we can see you clearly as you move to open our ears so that we can hear your voice to open our minds to new ways of thinking, to open our hearts to be humble and malleable and receptive to what you have for us this morning. 
you've known since eternity past what you have to accomplish in us and through us this morning. So help us to just wake up to you in this moment. Father, we love you. We're in awe of you. We're expectant of you to move. Be honored and glorified in this place, we pray. In Christ's matchless and holy and beautiful name. Amen and amen. And you may be seated. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Springbrook Community Church. My name is Max Kabaki, and I'm one of the members here. I'd like to briefly introduce you to a few announcements and tell you about all of the cool and exciting stuff that's coming up through these next couple weeks. But first, I'll give you a chance to introduce yourselves. You each have an online connection. You each have a connection card located in the aisle closest to you. I ask that if you're here in person, you would please fill that out and return it to the Dropbox over by the ushers near the back of the auditorium. If you are joining us online, welcome to you. I hope you're staying warm out there. There is an online connection card that is located on a button to the left of your screen, upper corner. I ask that you please click that button and type in all your information so that we can connect with you and keep you updated on all of the exciting things that are happening here. Speaking of which, we have a new app coming up. I ask that if you haven't downloaded that app already, you text Springbrook app to 77977. Don't worry, it's free. And you will have access to our new updated Springbrook app. This will allow you to sign up for various events and small groups. It will give you um, access to a virtual Bible, sermon notes. There are all sorts of wonderful tools on there to help further your ministry experience. We have a leadership gathering that is coming up next week, Sunday, March 6th. And that will be after the second service from 12.30 p.m. to 2.30 p.m. If you are already a leader here, I ask that you please RSVP for that event at springbrook.org leader. Or if you are new, welcome, all are invited. Please sign up for that event at springbrook.org leader. Would you like to be more involved in the church than just attending it on Sundays? If so, we have many serving opportunities available to you. You can, uh, currently, we need people for the Connections Cafe, now that it is reopening, and also we need additional service roles for Kids City Ministries, if you like working with children, or Production Ministries, if you like working with technology. Please apply for those at springbrook.org serve. We'd be happy to welcome you. And now, let us watch a brief video featuring a testimony from our friend Beth Manzella. Good morning, Springbrook. I am Beth Manzella. I've had the privilege of having many volunteer opportunities here at Springbrook. And most recently, I took the spiritual gifts class. I learned a lot about the strengths and gifts that the Lord's blessed me with, and it led to a career change. And I'm also serving in um, areas that I think are 
uh, more appropriate for me. I love conversation. I love relationships. I am part of the First Impressions team, so you will see me greeting out front and welcoming you into the building once a month. I also have the privilege to uh, serve in Kids City, where I can welcome kids with their parents on Sunday mornings. And after seeing me and my journey uh, with my volunteer experiences, my husband started thinking, hmm, where could I help out? And what are the gifts I have to give and share with others? He has now served on pretty much every role of the production team. His name is John. And he's also part of the lawn mowing team. So he's using his skills to benefit our church. My boys also followed suit. I have two teenage boys, Nick and Vinny, and they also serve on the production team and the lawn mowing team. Since I've been volunteering at Springbrook, I've learned how to be more confident. I've learned how to use my skills. I've learned how to try new things. And I think it's amazing when you actually learn that your kids are watching you. They are following suit. So not only are they learning to serve, which is being obedient to God, they're learning to attend weekly with us. They're learning to grow, use their Bibles, study His Word, go to the Lord when you're in trouble. I'm noticing a lot of new families walk through our doors, which is really exciting uh, over the past couple years when it's been a little uncertain. And you know, I just, I love that I have uh, an outlet for all my energy. You know, uh, my friends often tell me, Beth, um, others uh, see your light. And I've had people ask me if I was a cheerleader um, when I was younger. And I'm like, no, I just have a lot of energy. I love people. I love the relationships. And um, just pouring into others. My career's taught me to, um, you know, reach out to every different type of personality. And Springbrook definitely consists of many different personalities. So I feel it's important to connect with everyone with where they are. I'm a hugger, but maybe not everyone else is. Maybe they need a fist bump or just a wave across the room. We can meet you wherever you are. You know, it takes all of us for the church to run smoothly. Uh, we are in community together. It's being obedient. Um, we find a, it brings us a lot of joy. Serving has benefited myself and my family. And I'm really excited for what the future holds. Hello. Hello. Okay. Hi, everybody. I'm Matt. Um, so thankful for Beth and her story there. Um, I love, there's a Sunday where her husband runs sound and her two sons run the streaming machine. Um, and so it's just watching all of them sit there and they all have the same body language while they're sitting there. It's the best. Um, yeah, and so I'm just so thankful for all the people that serve. We have a whole bunch of people serving back there right now that we're up super early this morning, um, and so I'm just very grateful for all of them. Yeah, so. Well, we're continuing our series on the Sermon on the Mount. Um, I didn't mean to start with a sigh. I meant to start with a big breath, because um, we're going to talk fast today, um, which might surprise some of you. Um, but So we're in Matthew 5 through 7. Um, the first sermon Jesus gives in the New Testament, if you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to open up to Matthew 6. We're going to be looking at the first 18 verses of Matthew 6 for most of our time today. Um, and we're going to talk about practicing righteousness. Um, and, and it'll make more sense in a minute. But before we do that, um, I want to tell you that a lot of times I have the best intentions 
And the end result is not at all what I had hoped for. Um, When we had Lucy, every single month, every single month, on the 17th, we posted pictures of her laying down on the ground with a, a sheet that had numbers 1 through 12 and a little box that told you how big she was. And then a picture of her on a special blanket called a charmy with her stuffed animal so you could see how much she'd grown. And then we had Levi. And we were like, we're going to do all the same things with Levi. And I don't think I've posted a picture of Levi on Facebook in like three months even. This is a picture of Levi. It does not do him justice. Um, Levi is like like 29 inches, and I can do this because Levi is standing at seven months and trying to stand on his own and falling over and meeting our wooden floor on like a daily basis. Um, But he is a monster baby. He's like 20 pounds. Um, I love him, but he does not look like a seven-month-old. And this is the only picture I have. And you don't know the scale of this picture at all. And so I apologize for that. Because I think it's really funny that Jess and I were determined each of our children would get those pictures laying down with the number next to them. And then we'd show the comparisons of the one and then the other and how big they were at each. We're not even like seven months in with Levi. I don't know if we have, I think we have some of the pictures. I don't think we took his seven month pictures. And it was like supposed to be on the 23rd. Like this kid is going to have a complex someday. And it's going to be despite our best intentions, because our intentions and our reality do not line up very well. And that happens a lot. Look at how I segued that right into the sermon. Today, we're going to change our conversation a bit. We've been asking, how can I have a greater righteousness that will allow me into the kingdom of heaven? That's Matthew 5, 17 through 48. And today... We're going to start talking about really what it looks like in action. We're going to get down to the nitty-gritty, down to the, I want to take pictures of my son, but did I do it? What proves I have a greater righteousness that shows that I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? That's the question we're asking today as we come to Matthew 6. And so I'm going to read the passage, and then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump in. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that you will, your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father, who is in secret. And your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you, what you need before you ask him. You pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. 
Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces and with, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Let's pray. Father, our Father, we thank you that you who are in heaven, here's our prayers. We pray, Lord, that your kingdom done, come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in this space here and now. We pray that your spirit would give us ears to hear and eyes to see what your word has to say. Um, Father, we pray in light of everything going on in the world that today as we look at what it looks like to practice righteousness, that when we mourn, we would trust that you will give us comfort. When we feel sorrow and grieve over the state of the world, it would turn us to act as citizens of your kingdom. We pray you would help us to see your truth and respond to it and live in such a way that others encounter you. We thank you that you love us so greatly. We pray that you would fill this room with your spirit, fill us with your spirit, that we would hear these words and take them to heart. I pray that these would be your words and not mine. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The question we are looking at today is, what proves I have a greater righteousness that shows that I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? And before we go any further into this, we need to talk about cheese dip. If you have not been here the last two weeks, I'm mentioning this every week for a reason. Matthew 5 through 7 is like a recipe. And if you just take little portions of the recipe... You come away thinking, I need to say this prayer every day in order to be righteous. If you just take portions of the recipe, you think, I need to give but not know that I'm giving. And so you just throw money on the ground and hope somebody finds it. But if you see it in light of this whole picture, you're going to be challenged by it. Because there's a lot of things that I just read that on the surface directly contradict things you've already heard said in this series. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. That's our starting point for this second unit. And do you know there's a problem when we think about cheese dip because we need to remember the earlier steps of the recipe. Matthew 5, 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. This and this are opposites, at least on the surface. I'm supposed to let others see my light shine so that they may see my good works and give glory to our Father who is in heaven. I'm not supposed to practice my righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. I hope, do you guys see there? 
These don't work. But they do work, of course. Jesus isn't like, oh, i got to change my train of thought. He's like, I hope Matthew's not writing this part. No. Jesus is bringing up heart motive. Because that's what we're talking about today. The, The whole point of this passage, if you came here today hoping to learn how to pray and how to give and how to fast, the answer is pray, fast, and give. There. Um, But if you want to know what matters in this passage, we've just finished a whole unit from Matthew 5.17 through Matthew 5.48, where the idea was your righteousness must be greater than that of the scribes or the Pharisees. You, therefore, must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, beware of practicing this perfect righteousness in such a way that you are practicing it before other people that you will be seen by them and you will receive the reward of praise from them because that's where it falls apart. What proves I have a greater righteousness that shows that I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? I'm going to say it right now in case someone at home, their laptop dies while they're watching right now. The answer is, it's your heart. It's what's the intent of what you're doing. Are you giving that you may give and feel better about it? Are you praying in order that you may feel better? Are you, how are you praying? What is the heart behind it? And we're going to unpack this and we're going to jump in and there's three points. He's going to use three practices of righteousness in their day. The first one was about giving. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Now, I think this one's really clear. Um, and, but we do need to talk about, I, I love Jesus. I mean, that's not a surprise as a pastor or as a Christian or as a human who understands who he is in some capacity. Um, he is far beyond and surpassing my understanding. But when he says hypocrites here, um, we might wonder, well, who's he talking about now? Well, in Matthew 5, 18 and 5, 17 through 20, 21, um, he says, your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes or Pharisees. You have heard it said by the scribes and Pharisees, do not murder. You have heard it said by the scribes and Pharisees. So he's, he in the last section showed us how their righteousness was hypocritical. And now he's like, we don't even need to talk about scribes and Pharisees. Let's just say hypocrites. Okay? We need to just, we need to just hold this here. He's, he's like, like, he's moved this far. He's like, we're no longer going to call them the scribes or the Pharisees. I, this is how I read this. I could be wrong in this, but... Mm, it seems really clear. And remember, we're making cheese dip. So don't do what they do. And what did they do? They did their giving in very public ways. Now, we may think the, the sound no trumpet, like toot your own horn. I don't know if it's that. Um, there's all these different scholar things. But the one thing that's clear is no matter which view you take, the times that they gave were when it would be the most public and most known by other people. Okay. That's, that's the big idea here, that they may be praised by others so others would see their giving and praise them. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, they have received their reward. If the reward that they wanted was to be praised by others, they're good. They've got it. Good job. The problem is, is why on earth do you want the reward of praise from other people instead of our Father who is in heaven? When you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, if you're a person who texts with both hands on the phone, 
you may be worried right now. How do I do my bank statement or whatever? And I, I'm joking. I'm, you know, left and right. <sighs> okay. I thought that joke was going to land, but you guys are like, we just voiced a text. I do too. Um, but, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret. Now, the idea here, I hope this is very clear. The idea here is not that you don't even know what you... Oh, I forgot a picture. I, for, I have a picture um, from Chet Aquarium. I went last week with Lucy and Levi and Jess and her sister. And while we were there, there's these signs about things that were donated. And some, some of them say anonymous. And I was going to make... Oh, man, this joke doesn't land the same way. But I'm still going to make it because integrity... Um, ano- when it says anonymous, that doesn't mean every time I see that, I should wonder, was that me? I don't even remember. My left hand doesn't know what my right hand did. And and the other thing that makes this even more clear is if you're giving to a needy person, if you're giving to someone in need, they know, which means it can't entirely be a secret. Again, unless you're just going to drop money somewhere and hope the right person picks it up. But I don't think that's what Jesus is saying. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. The idea here. Is, is that if your goal is to be seen in your giving and to be known for your charitable donations and to be known for all those types of things, you're missing the point. Because if that's why you're giving, your rewards are the earthly rewards that everyone else gets when they do that. And this word secret matters because we want our Father who sees in secret to know and I, I actually think it's funny. Uh, you're, you're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. I think Matthew five fourteen through 16 should inform everything we're reading today. So we're talking about doing things in secret. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. You are the light of the world. You can't really hide it. Do you, do you see? And these are the same Greek words. It's, it's there. It's, it's just very explicit. But you can't hide what you're doing. But if you're doing it so others know, you're doing it for the wrong reason. I think when it says your father who sees in secret, it's talking about your father who knows your heart. Your father who knows when you gave, why you gave. Jess and I have been blessed a few times this year by radical gifts. Our heater died in our home, our boiler. And I I was like thinking like we're going to have to go to the bank, take out a loan. And we had people reach out to us entirely unasked for. And we basically did not pay for a boiler. And I don't I'm not going to say who it is, but they gave in secret. And when they gave, they said, we don't even want to talk to you about this anymore. Don't bring it up ever again. We love you. Let's pray. Let's move on. And they've been good as their word. They're like Mr. Scrooge at the end of a Christmas story. Now, the other thing here is rewards. Okay. This is really important. I love Awana. But when I was younger, I thought... My job, like if you hear store up your treasures in heaven, spoiler alert, next week. But when you hear store up treasures in heaven, I used to think, fill up those Awana crowns. Make sure you have a lot of them. When you finish that first Awana crown, get the next one, get the next one, get the next one. So when you get to heaven, you get prime real estate. I really thought this way for a very long time. And and then I was like, man, heaven's going to be a competitive market. Have you read Paul's stuff? So, but... But the the point here, as I joke about this, is that there's a tension about rewards that we need to talk about. Because when we read rewards, some of you are like, well, as long as I get to go to heaven, that's good enough. It's like Matt in high school. As long as I pass, I'm okay. Um, And my parents won't throw me out. Um, And I 
barely did that. And I didn't know this until recently. I saw my grades and went, man, I did not care about my grades in high school. But the point here is we think about rewards one way, but I don't think we should think about rewards this way at all. Um, When I try and think about rewards, and we're talking cheese dip again, I'm not going to show the image again because some of you might be getting sick of it. And for the lactose intolerant, it's insensitive. But the Beatitudes, what Rich started us on, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, here and now. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted, a future orientation. For uh, These are the rewards. For those who mourn, they will receive comfort. For those who are meek, they shall inherit the earth. For those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they will be satisfied. They will have the righteousness they hunger and thirst for. For those who are merciful, they will receive mercy. For those who are pure in heart, they will see God. For those who are peacemakers, they shall be called sons of God. The rewards are baked into the Sermon on the Mount. If you follow Jesus, and if your heart is in the right place, if the intent, if the motive of what you are doing is in the right place, you will receive these things. I think it's very clear. A great quote on this. C.S. Lewis says, The proper rewards are not simply tacked on to the activity for which they are given, but are the activity itself in consummation. Um, what that means... I hope, I hope it's clear. Consummation's a weird, weird word. But the, 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 I hope what you get out of this is the idea that when you're giving for the person who needs because you feel led by the Spirit and you want to love them and you're not doing it for your own glory but doing it for the glory of God that the light of the world may be shown to them that they may give glory to God when you do that, that in itself is the reward because you're seeing those who mourn comforted and you're a part of that kingdom value. And if you live that way, if we all live that way, the world would look very different. Because that is a reward that cannot be taken away. It's a reward that is not monetary. It's a reward that will not be destroyed by moths or anything else. What proves I have a greater righteousness that shows I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? It's, it's a matter of the heart. It's a matter of intent. And when you pray... You must not pray like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Um, I'm a pastor, and part of my job when I preach is to come up here and pray. And when I read this, I feel a tension. Um, and, and I want to tell you about this, because there's always a few things I pray when I'm up here. I always pray, like, Spirit, fill us. You know, that, that we would hear your words, that you'd give us ears to hear, eyes to see. Um, and I always pray, let these be your words and not mine. Um, and when I do that, I don't just do that up here so that you guys are like, oh, it's not mad, it's God. This is the prayer going on in my heart all week as I'm prepping the sermon. And so when I get to the point where I say it up here, I'm not saying it up here to be like, well, I'm telling them this. I'm, I'm hopefully, throughout the course of the week, being cut to the heart as I study scripture and thinking, how, Lord, can this be communicated in a way that others can do the same? And so I feel a tension when I read this, but most of you probably don't feel this tension the same way. Our church does not have, I mean, we have a prayer gathering, but I don't think at the prayer gathering people take turns standing up and praying their best prayer and then everyone claps or anything. Um, 
I, I have so many jokes right now, but I got to move on. Um, there's a good one. But, uh, but when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Again, it's the same idea, the heart, the intent, the motive. Your prayer is not for the benefit of other people, even when it's for the benefit of other people. It's, I want to see God's kingdom come, his will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So I pray that that would be true. And when you pray, do not heap up empty praises as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Some of you might say, this is good news. I no longer need to say it. But it's your Father knows what you need before you ask him, which means the asking is a part. Your Father does know. God in heaven knows but he still wants us to ask because he wants a relationship with us. By the way, when it says father, um, this is radical language in the days of Jesus. You don't call God father. Like Jesus calling God father in the book of John, they're ready to stone him and kill him over it. And he's telling all these people on the mountainside, when you pray to your father, your father knows. And then he says, pray like this, our father in heaven. And when he says this, he is saying, claim God to be your father. And some of you may say, I don't like that because my earthly father. And all I will say to you is our perfect heavenly father is above reproach in every way, shape, and form. And praise the Lord we have him. Praise the Lord that Lucy does not look at me as a perfect father because she will have a better perfect father in our Lord. And I will do my best to be a perfect father for her. But praise the Lord that Lucy can have the same father that I have. And so I, I start from there. But, but pr you pray then like this. Our father in heaven Hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also forget, have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, some of you might be wondering, where is the yours is the power and the glory and the, um, that's not in the Bible. And you may say, well, it's in my Bible. It's not in the Greek Bible. It was a later edition that people added because Jesus forgot to say Amen. Um, and I joke about this, I joke about this, but it's kind of true, but we're going to talk about that in a minute, because I think this is a fantastic prayer, even though it doesn't end with amen. Now, the other side of this is that when we talk about this prayer, if you're from a Catholic background, you may say, why on earth are they talking about the prayer here? The Matthew New American Commentary has this to say, It's highly ironic that this prayer has come to be repeated mechanically in many Christian traditions, accompanied by the notion that frequent repetition develops spirituality. So that's wrong. Just saying this prayer doesn't get you anywhere. I mean, it might remind you of who God is, but saying this prayer over and over does not get you anything special. It's, it's a good prayer. It is equally ironic that that other Christian traditions have carefully avoided its use or, I'm, I can't say this word, um, I tried earlier today, resuscitation, Re -res recitation, thank you whoever said that, every time I see it I panic, but this is a useful prayer, it's not the only prayer we should pray, it's funny that, that 
what do we call it? We call it the Lord's Prayer, even though the word Lord isn't in it. It should be the prayer to our Father who is in heaven or something. We call it the Lord's Prayer because it's about Jesus. But Jesus is saying, we should, you pray this, and he's talking about our Father who is in heaven. He's not talking about himself. There's a whole thing here. And, and so we can talk about the label. Other people argue you should call it the Disciples' Prayer. What it is, though, is it's like a tangent because Jesus just told them, don't pray in a big, loud way, and don't babble on. Here's a short economic prayer that you should say. Now, I have, a, I have a quick aside about Lucy. Lucy and I had our first daddy-daughter date last Friday. Um, and when we went on the date, um, I told her, Lucy, we're going on a daddy-daughter date. And Lucy immediately said, I'm going to wear my pink dress, which was cute because I don't think she has a concept of what a date is, but she want, maybe she just wanted to wear that dress. I don't know. She looks super cute. But on our date... When we went and got coffee. She hated it, but she didn't get coffee. I'm not a terrible parent. She got like a milk steamer thing with caramel, and she, ah, it's hot, and just hated it. But the, the point here, um, she had a wonderful date. We had a chocolate muffin. We sat at a coffee shop and talked a while or tried to talk as she got distracted by everyone else coming in. Um, and then we went to Costco, which just amplified the date. Um, and then after that, as we were driving home, there's a prayer that Jess prays with Lucy every day at lunch. And as we were driving home, she kept going, Lucy happy, Lucy happy. And then she just proclaimed that prayer. And then she sang the doxology. And I was like, Christian dad, I'm just so proud of her right now. Now, theologically, I don't know where she's at yet. Um, we'll, we'll get to that later. Um, that depends on your view on a whole lot of things. But what I will tell you is, it's not bad to have recited prayers. It's not bad to do those things. I pray um, Psalm 1 over my children while I hold them every couple days because it's a psalm of living a life with the foundation being the word. These are good things to do as long as we don't think, if I do this, I'm good. It's a matter of heart. It's a matter of intent. As Lucy grows, I hope that she doesn't say that same prayer she said in the car over and over when she's like 10, because that would be super annoying. Um, she's going to grow out of that, and that's okay. I'm going to miss it, and that's less okay. Pray then like this, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means holy. Your name is holy. It's not I'm making your name holy. It's I'm recognizing the holiness of your name, and I'm proclaiming it. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need. Forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. The only action that we take in this prayer is that in the same way that our sins have been forgiven, we forgive the sins of others. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I don't think you have to say this prayer. I think it's good to say I think if you just say this prayer by rote memory, probably not great, but it's not a bad prayer. It's a useful part of the Bible. And why is it useful? Well, the first thing, this prayer reflects the communal nature of kingdom living. Jesus says, our Father, give us this day our daily bread. When you pray, do you pray in the plural? Um, I do this thing when we sing worship songs where I think we should all be saying it together. If it says I, I say us or we, and sometimes it sounds weird, um, because, and, but I, I sing over there, so I'm away from you all, so you don't hear it, but, but I, I think we need to think communally as we pray, and so our Father, right away, communal, it's not my Father, it's our Father. God's parental status, I talked about this earlier, but we're calling God a Father, it is 
a unique status. No one in that day would have dared on that level to call God that. And here God is telling, or Jesus is telling his father, followers, if you're a part of this kingdom, you're his sons and daughters. God's sovereign status, our father who is in heaven. We're recognizing that he is our intimate, loving parent and that he also reigns over anything and everything. God's unique holiness, hallowed. God's other, that holiness is other and perfect and unchanging and, and God is everything that we are not and could never be and he is all of those things, so let's remember that when we pray to him. God's reign, in, God, God's reign in heaven coming to earth. Our prayer is that the way God reigns in his realm, he would bring to our realm. At one point, humanity was supposed to rule, and at all points, humanity was supposed to rule over earth on behalf of God, and then we sinned, and our relationship with God was severed, and the prayer of the Bible and the challenge of the Bible and the, the resolution of the Bible involves humanity ruling earth in the new heaven and new earth on God's behalf. Heaven coming to earth, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That is the prayer when we carry out our walk as Christians. We are a part of heaven coming to earth and his kingdom come, his will be done. His provision, first off, sustenance, whatever I need. And then his provision, forgiveness, the thing I I need more than anything. God's reign in our lives, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. It's just the acknowledgement that we cannot do this on our own. And finally, our need to mirror God's forgiveness. And those should be flipped, I guess, but we'll leave them there. But, but the idea in this prayer is a humble way of approaching the God who is our Father and the God who is an eternal King who is sovereign over all and wrestling with how different these things are. And somehow in the midst of it, he who is holy and perfect wants his reign in heaven to come to earth and wants to use us to do that. He provides what we need. He provides the forgiveness we need in order to be a part of that kingdom, and he invites us to do the same with others. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, some of you are going to be out there thinking, why didn't we talk about how to pray? Here's how to pray. I'm going to give it to you in a really simple way. Um, We do prayer gatherings. And I'm, I'm not telling you this cheekily, 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 yes. I'm not doing this cheekily, but I want to tell you the best thing that has grown me in prayer, there are three or four men in my life that when I heard them pray once, I said, I want to pray with them more because I want to hear them pray. Because when they pray, they pray without pretension. Um, If you don't know, Don Norin, who used to go here, and I forgot to ask his permission to use him as an example, I prayed with him one of my first Sundays at the church. We had like a prayer gathering thing, and me and him were alone in a room praying. And after that, I was like, can I come to your house and pray every once in a while? And we used to meet once a week when he still lived here and pray. Because the best way to learn how to pray is to pray and then to pray with other believers who are further along than you. If you go to a prayer gathering, they're not going to sit there saying, all right, it's your turn now. We're going to judge you if you don't. But going there and hearing other people pray and being exposed to it and learning how other people pray is such a valuable thing. And praying in community is so fruitful. And for many of us, I think it would be a wonderful thing to do. So if you want to learn how to pray, that's a great thing. If you're like, I don't like public spaces, why are you here? Um, But, um, sorry, Um, a few tips 
Um, a great tip for, ha- for prayer is make God the main character of your prayer. I was talking with a, a person yesterday, and we were joking about how everyone thinks they're the main character of their story, and the problem is Jesus and God and us, and we're, 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 not, we're not here. We're here. And, and when we pray sometimes, and I do this, I know I do this because it's something I feel conviction about. When my prayer is centered on myself and my need and myself and myself and myself and Father, just give this to me, I, all of a sudden I'm saying, Father, will you help my kingdom come? And, and that's, if you're the main character of your prayers, you're praying wrong. Our Father, forgive us. Lead us. I, I hope you hear that. The next thing, Approach God with humility as one who, fails, who, one who fails to always live as good as a good citizen of his kingdom. Our father, dad, daddy, that's the language behind it, who also is king. Somewhere in there is this beautiful tension of you've made me a citizen of your kingdom and I just don't deserve to be. And when I approach you, I need to hold those tensions loosely or tightly together somehow, even as they seem like they don't always fit. And finally, approach God with the confidence as a child, uh, confidence of a child has when approaching a loving father. Don't miss that, that he will hear you. Now, I want to give examples of prayer, and I was trying to think of one to use, and I have a perfect example, but it's nerdy folk music, and you guys are like, Matt does that a lot, but that's okay. There's this song called The Control Line by an artist named Sarah Sparks. Um, She's the best twin singer who I think is from Ohio but now lives in Hawaii that I know of. Um, But Sarah Sparks has this song, and um, she has a whole blog post about it that says it in such better words than I could ever say it. But um, her and her husband have been experiencing infertility, and she, she she wrote this song to God. And it's an IU prayer between her and God where she is praying her feelings, her disappointments, and the hallowed be your name to God and recognizing his kingdom come even in the midst of disappointment. And I love two lines from it that I want to share. The first line is, a valid answer is no. And I know my place before you. You are unchanging. I am the quickly fading. I don't think we think God can answer us no when we pray. And that's a problem, because if you're asking God with the intent that his answer must be yes, that's your kingdom come, not his. And, and I think it is, it, oh, this, this song, I, I wish I could sing it for you, but then you'd never come back. The other thing she says is, this I know, you are in control, yours is the power, yours is the plan, yours is to know, mine is to trust that you are good and God of all. And this song is a song of lament and mourning and sorrow and grief and hope. And it's so complicated in our lives that that we don't think we can pray like that a lot of the time. But we are called to this type of prayer. We are called to this type of approach before God. And so if you're looking for an example of a phenomenal prayer in a public space. um, So last thing here. Um, it's interesting that instead of ending amen, it ends with, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Um, I want to I read something, because cheese dip. Um, 
You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and who, this is Matthew 5, like 22. Um, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you are offering your gift at the altar, if you are coming before the Lord to worship, and there remember that your brother has something against you, against you, if you have wronged them in such a way, you need to go to them. There's an idea of forgiveness, even there, an idea that the way we are called to live is to forgive others and to have others forgive us. If we want to have a right relationship with God, our, our prayer is predicated on living these actions out. If you say, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom done, come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, but you don't live this out if it's not a heart condition, if it's not intent and motive-based, what you're doing is nonsense. And I don't mean this meanly. I mean, if you ask God to forgive you something you would not forgive of someone else, what on earth are you asking of him? What proves I have a greater righteousness that shows that I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? My heart. The motive there, the motive that only our Father who sees in secret knows. The final one, when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. Look normal that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. I missed a great sermon illustration opportunity of showing up all disheveled. Um, but, oh well. Um, but I, what I want to tell you, some of you may not know anything about fasting. This isn't about fasting. It's about heart condition. But fasting is the idea that you set aside things, specifically food, and then turn that time into time where you're worshiping the Lord. Um, I believe they're doing the Celebration of Discipline book. And if they're not, I'm sorry that I thought we are spiritual. Dis- I'm mixing them up. But um, for fasting, we're not going to spend much time on it, except the idea of fasting is not so other people can go, whoa, you went you went two days without eating or you went one meal without eating. The idea is to spend that time aligning your heart with God's will and God's kingdom come. And so if, if your goal is to let other people see you fast, it's an eating disorder. Um, but the point here, what proves I have a greater righteousness that shows that I am a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? It's, it's my heart. It's the condition of my heart. It's, it's the way that I stand in, in, before God, the way I humble myself before him, the way I cry out to him, the way that I make him first, the way that I make him great, the way that if other people see what I'm doing, it's not because that was my intention, but my intention was to be the light of the world, that when people see good works in me, they know that it comes from the Father, and they celebrate the good works of our Father in heaven. When my actions, thoughts, and words show alignment in yearning for God's name to be made great, I am truly exhibiting the great greater righteousness that Jesus calls us to live out together. That's, that's it. If, and, and it's words, thoughts, and actions. It's, it's your whole being. Doing the right action for the wrong reason? Eh. Doing the wrong action for the right reason? How do you get there? I don't know. But the, the point here, the point here is that this is a matter of the heart. We've been doing this every week. I'm called to, a, to live a communal daily pattern of replication of our king. I need to be like Jesus. Rumination on true righteousness. I need to study his word, be in prayer, be in community, be involved with other believers. And I need to humbly repent when I fall short of replicating my king, our king. And then I need to repeat this in such a way that enemies encounter and join in kingdom living alongside us. 
That's what we're called to. Now, I've got a great quote here by a guy named Gary Thomas. It's a book called Sacred Marriage. And this is so good. This is so good. The truth is, God's kingdom can move forward without a single one of us. Our perceptions of indispensability are usually based more on our arrogance than on our desire to be faithful. I saw this quote as I was preparing this sermon, and it made me want to spend less time on the sermon. But it's so true. I am called to desire in my deepest heart to live a communal daily pattern. It's, It's not just I'm called to do these things. It's I'm called to desire them. I'm called to yearn for them. And that yearning is something that I'm not always going to do on my own. We fall and we fall and we fall. But I want to show you the second part of this quote, because this quote is so wonderful. It goes on. It's, it's based, um, our perceptions of indispensability are usually based more on our arrogance than on our desire to be faithful. Faithful participation in God's kingdom, kingdom living, invites and encourages others as we serve. It doesn't diminish them. When I desire to follow, when I desire to truly mean your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, that is an outward thing. Like we, we sang what Bethany said about the love that we stand on that firm foundation is for others to see and experience as we see and experience it. We're called to desire in our deepest heart to live a communal daily pattern of looking like Jesus ruminating on true righteousness, humbly repenting, and then repeating this in such a way that others encounter the same thing. I'm, I'm almost done. Banned. Go. But, um, but, I, but I, I want to say one last thing. Um, this week, um, the, the world might be going to war, and we don't know. It might just be one conflict, but it it's kind of scary that there was a Spanish flu and then a world war, and right now we're in the middle of a, a we, we, you know, like or we might be done with, I don't know, but we're, we might have just given up. Point is, there's like all this stuff going on, and it's terrifying. And this week, one of the things that we have advantage of more than any other generation, um, I, I've been listening to podcasts and le- watching news. We have the advantage of you get to hear the stories of the people experiencing it in a way that's never been available in the world, and that terrifies me. And I'm hearing stories of people in Ukraine who decided not to flee on a split decision, and now they're stuck. And there's stories of people in Russia that are protesting. There's stories of people celebrating that they're invading. There's, there's all of these different stories happening around the world. And as I prepare this sermon... What goes through my heart over and over is, Father, why can your will not be done in Ukraine as it is in heaven? Why can your will not be done in Russia as it is in heaven? And there were a couple days this week where I felt almost crippled by that. And I was mourning that, and I was thinking about that. And and we need to pray for that. We need to pray against what is happening there. We need to pray. Last week we talked about there are no enemies anymore. There's potential citizens of the kingdom of God. And right now a whole bunch of them are engaged in something where a lot of people are going to die that may not know Jesus. And our hearts need to break and we need to say, Father, if your name is holy and great, if your kingdom could come, your will be done in this place as it is in heaven, why can that not happen? And in the midst of this, I'm hearing stories at our local high school of violence and senseless stupidity of our students, more so than I've ever heard before. And I think, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done 
in Huntley High School, in Crystal Lake High School, in all of these high schools, your will be done in these places as it is in heaven. And I wonder, God, why are you not doing that? And I don't have a great answer, except that in the midst of that, the thing that kept happening was I kept feeling like God was saying, pray for those places. And then how is my will being done in the little kingdom at 11706 Street we live on that I probably shouldn't say the address of so you don't teepee me. But we don't even have trees to teepee. But the, the point is, um, the point is, is in our, in our house, the question God kept bringing me back to is, you want to see my will done there, are you doing it? And on Friday, I had the opportunity, a neighbor, um, I, I don't know the story at all, but um, there was an ambulance. And I wondered, what's going on with this ambulance? I didn't know what was happening with that ambulance. And a fire truck and all these things showed up. And I was thinking, I don't know what to do for this person at all right now. And then all day, it didn't look like anyone was home. And Jess and I were praying, well, what, what can we do? Father, how can we do your will in this little situation? Because this is what I can control. And then I realized I bought a whole bunch of chicken at Jewel. And so that night, Jess walked over with all this chicken we grilled and said, hey, we don't know what's going on. We're praying for you. If you need anything, let us know. And handed them the chicken. And they said, great. And we left. And that's all we could do in this situation. And this week, in the midst of feeling powerless, I can at least say, when God said, well, there's something you can do, I did it. Because the thing is, is we need to pray for over there, but we need to live out the kingdom come here and now. Because that's our responsibility. It's what we talked about last week. It's what we're talking about this week. Our deepest desire needs to be to see that kingdom come in the spaces that we occupy. Because that is what we are called to. That is what we are held accountable to. That is our mission. And we need to live that out. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you who are in heaven, you are our Father. You reign even in the midst of a world where it does not feel like you reign. And Father, we pray that your will would be done on earth as it is in heaven, that we would be witnesses of that in our lives and that we would be witnesses of that around the world. We pray for those overseas that are struggling right now. We pray for the believers that are there, that they would be your salt and your light, that others would come to know you in the midst of this time. And we pray for ourselves here and now that we would not be so lost to despair that we are not living out the mission that you have for us, that you have sent us on. We pray, Lord, that you would be working and moving in our midst. We pray that we would not lose sight of that. And Father, we pray that our hearts, that you would transform and conform our hearts to your will, that we would, that we would forgive those that we need to as you have forgiven us that we would trust in you for provision, and that we would let you lead us, that we would avoid temptation and evil. We thank you that you see us in secret. You know our hearts. Transform our hearts to be more like the heart of your Son. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's stand together. Let's respond to this word we've received this morning, proclaiming our absolute dependence and need for the Lord.
talked to a lot of people this morning um, and just kind of the brief beforehand time where there's a lot of people that are feeling just very heavy hearted about what's happening overseas. And I want to invite you, um, if you want to, you don't have to, but if you're someone who would love to just come up, I'm going to be over here and just anyone who wants to stick around and pray for a while for the world, for, for God's kingdom to come, you're welcome to do that. If you need to go, go in peace. I would encourage you if you go, just go thinking how can I make God's kingdom come here and now? How can we be a part of that? How can that be our yearning, our desire, and at the heart of how we live? Go in peace.